702. Talk at 9. Call Gushwell. On 011-883-0702. Maurice, good evening and uh, thanks for chatting to me, man. It's been way too long. Yes, indeed. How are you doing? No, I'm good. I hope you're good as well, man. Yeah, yeah. Great stuff. It seems like it. It seems that tonight is my catch-up evening for for a whole bunch of old friends and acquaintances that I haven't chatted to in quite some time. Uh-huh, Mar- okay, <laughs> Maurice. Um, I mean, so I mean, you obviously, and this is and congratulations, by the way. I don't know how new this role is. It's new for me. Um, it's the first time that I'm chatting to you. Um, as the and I just want to get the title correct as the director of the Southern African Alcohol Policy Alliance in South Africa. Um, Mm -hmm. What I just wanted to understand is, so tomorrow with level three being implemented, now we know that there's a lift on alcohol. A lot of people will say this will obviously open up the economy, more taxes can be collected. And well, you know, as long as people do it responsibly, why not enjoy a drink? Look, you know, First of all, let me just start off by saying that the the SAPA, the Southern African Alcohol Policy Alliance, it's called Southern African, by the way, because we've got uh, uh, fellow branches in uh, seven other African countries mm-hmm. in Southern Africa, where everybody's trying to do much the same thing, which is to try and give civil society a stronger voice around the issue of liquor policy and liquor regulation. Because very often you find that government makes decisions and those decisions are driven either by government imperatives or, very often, by pressure from the liquor industry. So, given the fact that it's people in ordinary communities that are most affected by the problems that can be created by alcohol, it's important for civil society to have a voice around these issues. Mm, so mm. The point about SAPA is that we're not a pro- prohibitionist organization. We're not calling for alcohol to be banned. Hmm. What we are saying is that alcohol is not, as as, uh, uh, one book has called, it's no ordinary commodity. It's a different product to many other products. It is a dangerous product. It is a poison. It's a drug. Um, And if it's not well managed, it does actually create conditions where it can create harm. That's that's just a fundamental reality. Um, So... Under COVID, what we had was a situation where, surprisingly, actually, government decided to completely ban access to alcohol. Not totally uniquely. There were about four or five, maybe six other countries in the world that did that too. Mm-hmm. Most other countries allowed access to off-sales liquor. Yeah. So people couldn't sit in restaurants, couldn't sit in bars, but they could buy alcohol to take home. Mm. In South Africa, we did it differently. And there was a dramatic drop in crime, interpersonal violence, road crashes, Mm -hmm. hospital admissions, and so on. But unfortunately, we can't link those directly to alcohol because the very nature of lockdown means that people aren't driving cars on the road. It means they're not coming into contact with each other. Yeah. And so it's, it, you know, it, it's, it's very difficult for, for anyone. I think, uh, I think uh, Minister Tele has a couple of times said, you see, you know, banning alcohol has reduced crime dramatically. Well, it would be nice to say that, but it's, we can't say that. The evidence, mm. uh, it, the evidence is not uh, uh, clear enough. Um, but definitely it does seem to have had 
a beneficial impact. And one of the important reasons for for doing this, by the way, is not just to protect the public health, not just to reduce road crashes and crime and so on, but it's also to free up hospital beds. Yeah. And one of the one of the most interesting things that happened, even in the first week, I don't know if you remember that in the first week of the state of disaster, mm. there wasn't a ban on alcohol. Mm. There were restrictions. You could only buy alcohol from uh, nine to five, six, I think it was, uh, on, on consumption and off consumption. And anecdotal evidence was pulled together in that first week. And even in that first week, there was a dramatic drop in a number of crimes and in the rate of hospital admissions. Yeah. Um, so under the ban, of course, that's what happened. And one of the key things is to, you know, I was watching, a, I was part of a webinar today looking at the state of uh, hospital beds in this country. Mm. And we actually have far too few hospital beds anyway, far too few ICU beds anyway, so if they clogged up with people who have got involved in some kind of alcohol-related problem, um, it actually means that, that you can't deal with the COVID cases. So that's one of the key reasons why government actually had the ban in place and why it stayed in place for as long as it did. I hear you. So, 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 so if we can come back to, to the issue, Maurice, that, that fascinates me and I think that fascinates most of the listeners. And I mean, I was mm-hmm. listening to, you know, with keen ears to what you were saying about mm-hmm. alcohol and, and, you know, regulating it almost or, or con- mm-hmm. controlling it. And this is the difficulty for me. So, so looking at tomorrow and, and what's going to happen. So from tomorrow, mm. people would be able to, and I think it's from eight till five, from Monday to Thursday, uh, be able to, five, per, yeah. yeah, from nine till five, um, mm-hmm. be able to go and purchase their, their, their alcohol. The issue is, is that from at this stage, I'm not aware of any uh, limit on how much you can purchase. Um, no. You know, and, 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 and the issue is, is that people have been dry for quite some time. Yeah. Um, except for those who who were experimental enough to go make their own pineapple beer, uh, which I saw a couple of people consuming today, and and you know it it uh, you know you couldn't pay me enough, and it's not as if I'm a teetotaler. I do have a drink, but you couldn't pay me enough to drink that stuff. Um, yeah. But 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 people were either making their blowing themselves up in their own homes, making their own uh, pineapple beer, or poisoning themselves, and you know so so at least yeah, that. Exactly. I mean, there have been a number of deaths actually, unfortunately. You see what I'm saying? So hopefully that yeah. nonsense comes to an end, and people will actually be able to go buy stuff that has been professionally made, and you know, for for to sound really cynical, takes much longer to 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 kill you or to have a massive impact on your life but at the very mm. same time all the social ills that you've just spoken about mm. are in all likelihood going to return because gersh can go tomorrow and i can buy myself five bottles of vodka assuming yep. that it's in stock um there's nothing else to prevent me from being able to do that you know what i mean and and, and that for me is oh, my absolutely. one absolutely and yeah absolutely and to, uh, look we we've, we've written to government already we've we've sent um uh, recommendations to government saying that they should in fact uh, do a number of things. One is to reduce the amount of alcohol that anybody can buy at any one time. I mean, ideally, uh, if we were a more organized uh, society, you could actually, um, uh, you know, if you go to if you go to Tuscan, for example, and you uh, 
you can go to any branch of Discam anywhere, hmm. um, and uh, you can that, you know if you if you registered with them, you'll be linked by computers. So you can go to any branch, and they will they will have you on on the system. And ideally, that's what they should be doing with um, with you selling the alcohol too. Hmm. Uh, now that you go into a bottle store, you can buy. You present your ID, they punch in your ID number, and then uh, there's a limit on what you can buy. That's never going to work. Apart, I mean, it's not going to work because uh, you know, not even some of the the, the 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 more advanced restaurants and so on would have the facilities. The government doesn't have, have the facilities. And one of the things that uh, that they've agreed to with this new uh, easing of the ban is that people who are normally what they call on consumption mm. licensed people can now sell off sales. Mm, mm. In other words, if it's a tavern or a pub or a, um, a bar somewhere that normally only sells to customers who come in and sit down and have a drink, they can actually sell now, they can sell takeaways, basically. And the chances of, you know, a lot of those places actually having the, uh, the, uh, the IT equipment and so on to allow them to be linked into a national network is just... So, so that's the one thing that we would have liked to have seen happen but can't happen. We have recommended that there should be limits anyway. Mm. And, and that's just to, to discourage hoarding, to discourage people from buying huge amounts and going to sell it again, um, uh, to discourage people from drinking too much. Um, but, 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 so that's the one thing. The second thing is yeah. we suggested that they actually should put a ban on uh, the 750 and one liter bottles of beer and cider. Because again, people uh, just get encouraged to drink far too much. You know, there's lots of debate in the world at the moment about, you know, what is too much alcohol. Uh, some people these days say that any alcohol is too much because it, it causes cancer and various other things. But even if uh, the, the standard language before was around four drinks at any one sitting or any day, mm. four standard drinks. And so a standard unit drink of a beer is 330 mils. A standard uh, unit in wine is 125 mils of wine, and a standard of spirits is a tot. So four tots of whiskey, four glasses of wine, etc. that should be the maximum that everybody has. So if people are limited in terms of what they can buy, then hopefully they would reduce their intake. So that was, uh, and, and, and also if, if people don't, drink liters and 750ml bottles, uh, it'll help to reduce the intake too. So those are some of the proposals we've made, but we haven't actually heard of any detailed regulations coming out. All that we've heard is what the president said um, last week and then what um, uh, uh, Ibrahim Patel said earlier this week. And that's it. That's, that's, uh, so we, you know, I'm sure there will be further regulations coming out and we've made recommendations they should be but we haven't seen them as yet yeah um i i find it interesting because maurice what my biggest concern is is that this is a, a an industry and it's a a top performing industry whether we like to ex, you know accept it or not in south africa for sure, sure. for quite some time and and yeah. unfortunately 
it's remained dry for quite some time. People have mm-hmm. remained dry for quite some time, except for those, yeah. as I said, who have been experimental. Um, and and I think that what we also under what a lot of or people have been buying backdoor backdoor exactly that's the other aspect that we, we, we exactly that's the other aspect that we're forgetting about but um, yeah. I think that the backdoor thing you know the, is is with the the tobacco trade you know that's sort of where yeah. my mind goes automatically but mm-hmm. the fact of the matter is we also have a lot of people and I think this is what and and even in my discussion with Dr Anban Pillay and I couldn't really. Um, you know, discuss it any further with him or, or interrogate him any further on that mm. is that we also underestimate addiction levels in this country. Addiction to alcohol, addiction to nicotine, but we obviously talk about alcohol here where people are literally functional alcoholics. We're not taking that into account. Um, and, and what my concern is, is now it's opening up again. Um, business owners in this particular space are probably cringing at our conversation right now saying, why the heck do these guys want to regulate us any further? Yeah. Because chances are when I do open up my bottle store tomorrow, there would be a hell of a lot of people outside. So I'll have to maintain social distancing. So I won't necessarily be able to have all the customers streaming at once and then uh, go about their business. But I'll have to stagger the, the entry. So my business is still slow anyway. But the fact of the matter is, Maurice, I still do not see people walking in there and emerging with the 340 milliliter beer can or or bottle and saying that's good enough. People are going to hoard. People are going to to, to panic buy, quite frankly, tomorrow. Look, I think part of the problem is that, uh, and I, I said this in another interview I did, part of the problem is that we went into the lockdown for the liquor problem. Exactly. You know, government in 2016 adopted a new national liquor policy. Uh, in On the same day that that was approved by cabinet, they also approved the liquor amendment bill for public comment. That was processed. Uh, a new draft, I think, came out in 2017, and nothing has happened since then. Uh, and so... We are reaping the consequences, actually, of the fact that government hasn't done anything to tighten up liquor regulations since 2003. And uh, from 2010 onwards, government adopted the World Health Organization recommendations. And this is, you know, recommendations that apply across mm. the world, which is that there are three main things that you have to do if you want to regulate alcohol properly. Mm-hmm. The one is you've got, to, you've got to restrict or ban advertising. Mm. because advertising, you, you said earlier on that uh, the liquor industry is one of the best uh, performing industries in South Africa. It's true. And they also make some of the most compelling, slick, professional advertisements. I mean, when I watch some of the ads, they are very, very good. You can see how much money no, they have. I mean, they get the, the, the celebrities in uh, yeah. local brands are bringing in international stars, superstars for, the, for that matter. Um, you know, they, they always, the lifestyle. That, they just get the best creatives. They get the, they've got all the money that they need to throw at the, at the thing. So they produce incredibly slick, very, very well messaged uh, adverts. Uh, and whatever they say about, you know, all they're trying to do is promote a particular brand, not trying to encourage people to drink. You know, uh, I don't buy that. They are going all out, spending millions and millions every year in trying to promote alcohol. 
And they argue that they don't target young people, but they are targeting young people. And if they didn't, they'd be crazy. If you think about it, if you're running an industry like uh, uh, SA Breweries, mm. you have an aging customer base. You know, uh, a lot of people tend to drink less as they get older, and they drink even less when they die. <laughs> so now, how are you going to replace them? Yeah. You obviously going to have to get young people to get interested in drinking. So you, 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 you have to have adverts that are appealing to young people to entice them, to groom them, to start thinking about drinking. And then there's peer pressure mm-hmm. in society. And so we actually end up in a situation where, you know, people talk, it's very interesting seeing the responses that some people have to some of the articles that we write and so on, because people say, but you're taking away our free choice to drink. People don't have a free choice to drink. People are forced into drinking by society. You know, the pressure Mm. through advertising, through peer pressure, through your friends, through your... Uh, uh, you know, your, your colleagues, the pressure to drink is enormous. Uh, you know, very, a lot of people talk about how, particularly if they've stopped drinking, how they, they find it very, very difficult to, to, to deal with the pressure that's put on them by their friends who can't believe they've stopped drinking and just feel like they have to. No, it's a, it's a, it's a fact. Like I mean, evangelists, religious, religious evangelists, that they have to persuade. Mm. They're praying to start drinking again. Mate, I, I know exactly what you're talking about. I mean, I, I can imagine if I have to get some of my closest friends together, uh, invite them over to the house, have a braai, and, you know, I, I yep. pull out a soft drink as opposed to a beer, the first question yeah. would be, why, what is wrong? Why aren't you having a yeah, drink? Yeah, yeah. So yeah. that for me is 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 ultimately, um, you know, part and parcel of, of, I guess, not just South African society, but global society. That's how we operate. Yeah, we programmed. Uh, to yeah, think that you must absolutely. have a drink, but but yeah, Maurice, absolutely. what I want to get onto just is, is is you know since we are on this very issue is mm. the role that the state. So we have discussed the, especially the aspect of advertising and how advertising plays a massive role in 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 sort mm. of creating and, and fostering a drinking culture. Yeah. What I'd like to get back to, and this is what I've been having difficulty with, apart from just mm. wholesale removing alcohol from the shelves right mm. alternatively because there's many countries where alcohol is part and parcel of that country's culture for lack of a better term but they do not have a binge drinking culture they don't have a drinking mm. problem per se so how do we then get south africa into a space where people can actually have a drink um and do so responsibly and that binge drinking is seen as almost, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, an exception to the rule as opposed to being the norm. Because that for me is my worry. Is that where, where it becomes socially unacceptable. Yeah, because wh- what we've done is well, we've just ripped things off, whether it be cigarettes or booze, we've just ripped it off the shelves and, 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 and now the expectation is all of us are well behaved and, and no one smokes, no one drinks anymore and we're going to have this reformed country where everyone is going to go to church on a Sunday provided they're not more than 50. You know, the interesting thing about tobacco is that uh, from 1999, tobacco, I don't know how old you are, Gushwell, but, um, you know, when I was a kid, Mm. tobacco was ubiquitous. It was everywhere. 
No, no, for sure. I remember those days. I remember the the, the cowboy meetings. If, if you were in meetings, if you were in parties, if you were got into an elevator, if you went into shops, if you went into restaurants, movie mm. houses, people smoked. It for was sure. everywhere. Yeah, it was part. It was totally normalized. Um, and in those days, if some, if you were a non-smoker. Or even if you were a smoker, but you didn't want somebody to smoke in a hot box, for example, you know, like in a mm. confined space, and you asked someone to stop smoking, you would, you know, they would check your skiff and, you know, and, and, and <laughs> probably and, give you uh, a club. Um, give you, yeah, you know, and, and, and just give you a hard time for actually, mm. for actually, uh, even, even daring mm. to ask them to stop smoking. What happened in 1999? was that government introduced stringent tobacco legislation. And in that legislation, they banned advertising mm. and they banned public, uh, smoking in public places. Mm. Plus a few other things. But those two things have actually turned the tobacco, the use of tobacco on its head. Mm. So today, smoking is actually socially unacceptable. Mm. Today, nobody would dare to smoke uh, in a public place. Nobody would dare to smoke in a meeting. Nobody, everybody says, can I smoke? Or they step outside to go and have a cigarette. And young people, as they're growing up, are not pressurized in the way that they used to be because of the advertising. Because remember, the tobacco industry was very similar to the liquor industry, their advertising was also the slickest around when they were allowed to advertise. Those Peter Stuyvesant adverts one used to see and so mm-hmm. Where everyone was healthy and fit and, and busy uh, jet skiing. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, yeah. exactly. So, so, so there, therein lies the answer. So if we go back to the World Health Organization recommendations, they made three recommendations. They said, one, you've got to restrict or ban alcohol advertising. Two, you've got to make it less available. Now, how do you make it less available? Mm. One is you can actually restrict the number of liquor outlets. And there are many parts of the world, uh, in the States and various other places, where there's a quota on the number of liquor licenses you can have in a geographic area. Mm. Um, And, you know, once those licenses are all uh, uh, in operation, nobody can get a new license. The second thing is your operating hours. Uh, and that was the big thing we saw happening in the first week of the state of disaster. That just reducing the operating hours from uh, uh, 4, 4 a.m. or 2 a.m. down to 6 p.m. caused a dramatic change. And then the third thing that you do, uh, the other way you can do it, by the way, is increasing the drinking age to 21, which is in fact a proposal that is contained in the Liquor Amendment Bill. And then the third thing that you do is you look at the price of alcohol. And there's two ways to look at that. One is you increase the tax mm-hmm. uh, on these products. It's what you call excise tax. Excise, well, you know, some people call it sin tax. I mean, we, mm. we, 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 we don't like calling it that because we don't believe that it's a moral issue. Yeah. Uh, whether people drink or not. It's a public health issue. It's not a moral issue. We're not judging people for drinking. We're simply saying... And we're not even judging people for drinking. That's the problem with the liquor industry. The liquor industry judges individuals. That's why they, their campaign is, 
uh, drink responsibly because they are blaming the individual mm, um, mm. for drinking. It's and it's you know so they're shifting the responsibility actually away from themselves. And listen, if I'm selling heroin, I'm, 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 I'm when I get arrested, I'm going to tell people that it's it's not me who's overdosing; it's the people who use the stuff that's overdosing. So ultimately, uh, you know, you want to shift responsibility away from yourself and, and blame the the user as opposed to yourself. So I guess that's like that's I said to you before. Obviously, there's a, there's a degree of user responsibility, but the point is, mm. like I said. You know, first of all, we have little choice. Yeah, have little yeah. choice as the only thing. You know, I mean, you know what's an interesting fact? I don't know if you know this, but um, uh, you know, only about thirty percent of of people in the country, age fifteen to uh, fifteen and above, actually drink. Wow, thirty percent. That's a very interesting figure because. Most people say, wow, like you just did. Mm-hmm. Most people think that 90% of people in the country drink. They don't. And a huge percentage of those people who don't drink are, don't drink for religious reasons. And that's the thing. I'm not saying this is mm. the only way it should happen, but that is the thing that stops people from drinking, uh, is religion, because of the pressure I was talking about earlier on that is put onto people. The thing that helps them to resist that pressure is their religion. But that's, we shouldn't have to rely on religion to, yeah. to, to make choices about whether to drink or not. So, so the, the, the question of, of pricing that I was talking about, the one is that you, it's not sin tax, it's excise tax. Mm. Excise tax actually is a specific tax that is put onto dangerous products. That's that's the nature of excise tax. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's why we have excise tax on petrol, on 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 tobacco, on uh, uh, um, on on alcohol, and now on sugar. Mm, mm. So that's what an excise tax is. That that needs to go up, and needs to go up significantly. Uh, you know, it goes up. Uh, I mean, the you know the last budget it went up. I think uh, it was eight cents. Mm. Uh, 1%, 1% on, on, on the price of a beer, ultimately. Yeah, and ultimately so, it doesn't uh, make the biggest difference in anyone's life. Exactly. Uh, the second thing is you have what's called minimum unit pricing. Okay. One of the big things that the liquor industry does as well to entice people to drink more mm. is to make you know offer them big deals. So places like Scotland now sure. and uh, Russia have actually introduced what they call minimum unit pricing, where you cannot sell uh, beer below a certain price, wine okay. below a certain price, mm, and mm. so on. And let me tell you, by the way, you said earlier on, how do you, you know, uh, how do you get people to change their culture of drinking? You know, there are three countries that always spring to mind for me mm. when it comes to the issue of drinking. Sure. Hard drinkers. And the one is South Africa, the other one is Russia, mm. and the other is Ireland. Mm, mm. Now, okay, South Africa, we all know the current reality. Russia, in the last 20 years, has reduced alcohol consumption by 43%. She was. Maurice, mate, listen. Effective legislation. What we'll have to do is, because of time, I'll have to leave it there. But I mean, if there's just one final soundbite that you want to leave me with, because I'll, I'll really have to end it there. Just in 30 seconds, what's the one thing that you want to leave me with out of this conversation? Look, I think the most important thing is, is first of all, for, 
to say to people who might be listening, don't go crazy tomorrow, rushing off to the bottle stores to go and buy your mm. booze. It'll be open on Tuesday, it'll be open on Wednesday, it'll be open on Thursday, and it'll be open next week. So don't rush to the bottle store tomorrow and, uh, uh, you know, create scenes of chaos and, 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 and prejudice, uh, physical distancing and so on. And the other thing is uh, a message to government is, is let's use this COVID time to reassess how we handle alcohol in South Africa. And luckily, we've noticed an, a number of political figures have actually been speaking about this issue. Caleb, uh, mm. uh, uh, David Makura, sure. um, uh, Panyaza Sufi, and various others. I hear you. Uh, yeah, that's it. Maurice, thanks all, all the best to you, mate. Uh, I'll try no, to stay in much. touch a lot more often. Thank you, mate. All the best to you. Yeah. That was Maurice. Oh, sorry, Maurice. Uh, that was Maurice Smithers, director of the Southern African Alcohol Policy Alliance in South Africa. Anyway, up next, interesting conversation I'm looking forward to from booze to tobacco to tobacco. We're speaking to uh, Talita Snikers, author of Dirty Tobacco, uh, who is also a tax and customs lawyer who holds a master's degree in constitutional law and fundamental human rights. And this is interesting how all of this will tie together 24 minutes ago before we get to 11.